how did we get here? How did we get to this point where this is how we view preaching as the, the de facto, whatever, like our, all of our stories, believe it or not, even if you didn't start going to church until like 2004, you're, you're sitting on thousands of years of history that influences you in all sorts of areas. So when you think about anything uh, in the, the Christian life, it's like, oh, what does the Bible say? But then there's also what did, what did church history do with this thing? This is the Soma podcast where we're having conversations where we talk about culture, issues, theology, life in the city, life on mission, life in community. We are taking a few episodes to talk through preaching and the theological and historical implications of preaching and what we believe preaching is as a church. And because it's on that large sort of doctrinal level, this isn't just a meandering conversation about theology. This is actually a sharing of our view on what preaching is. And because of that, we're taking this elder conversation and we're wanting to open up the the hood, so to speak, and show everybody else how we think through this topic and how that will play itself out in the life of our church. So hope you enjoy this conversation where we talk specifically about church history and preaching. So if we can just, if we can just do that short definition again, to start off with what we, uh, what we worked out yeah. biblical definition for preaching. You want to read that off again? Yeah. Preaching is the act of explaining the Bible publicly in such a way it results in worship in the moment and in our daily lives. Yeah. And I think what comes, you know, if, if you really think about that definition for a moment or two, you are going to realize that it seems like a lot of the Christian world doesn't actually think about preaching in terms of this definition. Yeah. And that I think really, it, it leads us naturally to this, this question. What, why did, why did preaching come to be known as something different than that? If, if we're agreeing, that's truly the biblical definition. How did we get away from the biblical definition and like what happened? Totally. I love it. Great question. So yeah, start with the early church. So the church 60 AD to like 300 AD, like what was the church doing then? The that's, we'll combine a few eras and just call that the early church. They were marked, the gatherings themselves were marked by baptisms, communion, scripture readings, singing songs, prayer, hearing prayer requests, praying for others but then also an explanation of the scriptures uh, and the reading of them itself. Like that was all a component of the gathering, like when they got together. And the high point though, of the whole experience was the love feast or the, the taking of communion. So the early church was, Jesus told us when we get together, Let's break bread. Let's drink wine. Like you even see that in Acts 2. That was the, the highest, the point of the getting together was that. Even there's a lot of uh, 
contexts in which, because of persecution and safety concerns and different things, they would have like an open gathering where people would come to someone's home, like huge estate kind of home. And the, the church would be there. They'd all be gathered together. They would go through some scriptures, a liturgy. You know, one of the funny things is a lot of the pieces of the scriptures for the New Testament we have is like printed on bulletins. So like bulletins are 2000 years old. Why do we have bulletins? They had them in the early church where they would like write out, here are the songs, here are the scriptures, here's these parts of passage. But they'd read that stuff. They'd go through liturgy. There would be space for people to share and contribute. And then someone would actually explain uh, the scriptures to people. But then they would go into this other room to take communion because that was for the the real people or, you know, the people who had been baptized, who had been like brought in the faith. That one was public. And then they do this like private thing of what they were called in the church, outside the church, love feasts, which was really like a meal of taking bread and wine. So that was the early church where preaching was part of that. Um, and, and a really important part of it. So most people didn't have a Bible. So they were listening to the Bible and they were being taught the Bible in such a way that it was wrapped up in this entire worship experience. They're being reminded of who God was. They're being reminded of the gospel. People who don't believe are hearing the gospel, you know, great stuff. Then in the middle ages, which is the crazy time, uh, the church moved toward a gathering that focused on a ritual around communion. So it really focused on just the elements, bread and wine. And so the, the church really kind of amped up towards, we get together to take communion. That was it. That was the, that was the show, the high point, the whole point really is we get together to do this, which is a little ironic because Jesus is saying, Hey, when you get together, do this, not get together to do this. Right. Which is just a little funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do this for a reason. <laughs> yeah. And the reason is to remember me. Not yeah. To do the thing. Yeah. You, like the uh, sacramentalism totally develops where it becomes the, the form is, is intensely observed because yeah, mm, because it was. I guess it, right. Yeah, it just became that way. Right, and there really there was not preaching in the Middle Ages. You know, the the priest really did take that sacramental role, like really the Old Testament. Thinking about the Levites, or, you know, the tribe of Aaron, the priests who would just they did the rituals on behalf of the people, but they weren't like pouring in to the people. Um, the sacraments was the whole. But then in the Reformation, there was a huge shift. So part of it is even just the dynamics of how it happened. So the the people who were hearing the scriptures, being taught the scriptures, were monks who were in monasteries or in universities. So there's a huge chasm between people who had access, people who didn't. And there was this one guy, uh, Johann Huss, Jonathan Huss, a Czech professor and priest monk who in in Prague, which was the center, one of the centers of the Holy Roman Empire, started on like lunch breaks, just like, I'm going to teach the Bible to students and people and workers and craftsmen. Prague's like this beautiful city, lots of artisans. 
And I'm just going to do this in this warehouse down the street, just a side thing at lunch. But then hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people were coming because he's just preaching and explaining the scriptures in such a way that's like changing people's hearts, their lives. They're like, I didn't even know, like they were doing the rituals without like the understanding. And that was really, um, a huge shift. And he was killed, burned at the stake in the center of Prague. But that was even kind of a spark towards what the Reformation ended up being about. It wasn't about preaching, but it was access to the scriptures and a remembrance of the gospel and a reminding of one another of the gospel that really did lend itself towards worship. And so preaching during the Reformation really resulted in a shift of the high point of the gathering being the sermon, not the sacraments. So it even became a huge point of the church activity is like we come and we get to hear the scriptures taught and it like results in this thing that happens in us and we become faithful people every day, uh, all of that. Uh, one of the funny things is it also became just what the church did. So Martin Luther preached eight, eight sermons a week. So it's like twice on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, twice on Sunday. I mean, that was what he did. And I think it really is born out of just this huge need and starvation and hunger for it. Uh, that was, it was really, really powerful. Yeah. Um, it was new. So new. And it's like, if you can just imagine a whole society becoming Christians all at once, really. Like for themselves. How dramatic that How, is. Yeah. And if you, you imagine when you come to the faith, you're like, oh, I want right. to soak this up all I can. But, you know, this also coincided with the printing press booming, but it wasn't like a cobbler, like a person who makes shoes, all of a sudden gets to go to the library and buy a Bible Bibles in, in German. Expensive Super point. expensive. Right. I mean, it was <laughs> proliferated like towns had bibles right. but not individuals so you're like i want to go every day to hear the words of life you know uh the words of authority the words of the words of god uh and so that's why it lended itself to that yeah and then after the dust settled uh i'm skipping way ahead <laughs> through lots of wars then there was in europe this and in the united states this thing called the enlightenment uh, that, yeah, really kind of pushed like this big explosion of science and learning and the individual and what can you know and do we need God and does any of this matter? But after that kind of dust settled, there was this great awakening in England and in Eastern Europe and in the United States. Jonathan Edwards, John Wesley, Charles Wesley, all of these people that are really famous for being preachers. So that was the arrival of the famous preacher. They didn't have preachers in boots, not sneakers. But, <laughs> and it, what it was, was people going to this outside of church buildings. So like the Wesleyan thing was, they're part of the Church of England. And then they're like, oh, we'll, we'll go to fields. Yeah, like on top of it. And it was, there was a whole system built around community 
as well as like evangelism and mission. It's a really cool thing that happened, but you had society once again being converted yeah. all at once, like crazy amounts of people in the United States, in Europe. Uh, it was really a wild thing. And that's when the heroes of the faith became preachers. And I think that that's an interesting kind of shift because the heroes of the faith in the Bible are not preachers. So it's like Moses preached once that we have in the Bible. Peter preached once. Uh, Peter and Paul don't like rely on their authority of, I preached before masses. You know, actually, none like Peter preached to the largest crowd that you have in the Bible. But it wasn't, he wasn't doing that all the time. Like they weren't famous for preachers, I guess is all I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's not, it's not like they were putting on a road show. Yeah, totally. And we're going to get all these people into a stadium and that's yeah. we're going to keep this early church thing going. Yeah. Yeah. And so I almost wonder if it was like the, ser- this, the centrality of the sermon is feeding people in the Reformation becomes like, then it then it almost takes on this new life yeah through the enlightenment and it's like kind of what you're saying is in yeah. a way it's like the sermon begins to transcend the bounds of the service right now you got people preaching in tents totally right and people preaching to groups of people that aren't actually like yeah. communally related like they may never even gather again after that moment totally but god was doing something in that moment to bring them there yeah to make them that multitude for this right yeah and at the same time that's kind of like our that's the beginning of our history too right like we're oh yeah america basically totally. kicks off right at the start of the alignment yeah um, and that's like our we are a revival like like the American church is a revivalist church. Like that's, that's what we are because that like we started that way, not like in Europe where it's like, oh, we've had these ebbs and flows. We've had these moments. We start the, you know, the church in Europe started in the catacombs of Rome, not huge tents with masses of people coming to faith. And I think that, I think exactly what you just said there, that's why there is maybe a different relationship or a sense of importance in American Christianity to the Jonathan Edwards figure. Totally. Or the, um, yeah, really just that that kind of preacher as a defined hero of faith. Yeah. Though that had a different, we have a different relationship to that because of how much shorter our history is totally as a, as a nation or yeah. as a, as a culture distinct from the European culture. Right. Cause even, especially at the beginning, we weren't even all that fully distinct. Yet. Not that distinct. You're yeah. like quasi British, you yeah. know, just <laughs> talked funny. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. yes, that's kind of like, that's happening at the moment that America is maybe getting her first identity as a totally as its own nation. And I think it's important to say that those aren't bad stories. Like, yeah, it's not a bad, like that, the reformation thing. That's like, so awesome. Yeah. You know that, and it's, and it's our story and it's how we think as Westerners, like it's so baked into, um, 
even the way we choose presidents is around who can speak eloquently and persuade, you know, like the power of the the presidential podium or yeah, the the sense of speech that that we have and public speaking is part of our culture. And what's always impressive to me is like all these different moments in history are not like turning points where God's like, ah, oh, shoot, can't use that culture anymore. Instead, he's like, okay, so you figured out the printing press or, you know, post enlightenment, boom and educate, formalized education becomes a thing for many, many people, mostly through the church. But he's like, I'm going to use that to like really form and shape people, not be like, ah, well, that's different than what I did when it was in the homes and Athens. That's so different. So I guess I can't do it. It's like, no, God's, I, so I think it's a great part of our story and it's something to embrace, not like reject, but is there are things where it's like, oh, that's interesting. It's not my history isn't the Bible. Right. Yeah. So and, the, and that you, weird spot. I mean, if you're catching what has happened here over the sweep of things, yeah, we're now in a very different relationship to what a Sunday service is or what preaching is about, even by the alignment right. compared to where we were right. from the very beginning. And you can see how even just the recency and the importance of that history might have really tweaked our thinking as the American church, as far as what what we think is going on here and what we think matters or is important. Absolutely. And I think the way the church history is important is it's like, oh, whenever we're talking about like preaching, oh, is that what it meant then? So suddenly we're reading into first Timothy or first Corinthians or any of these passages, we're suddenly reading in a room with pews and a stage and a person at a lectern and that's what we're reading but there they're like there was no lectern yeah you know there were no there were no pews there were no pews there were no organized <laughs> seats like that yeah. most people sitting on the floor and random right. unorganized structures there weren't buildings yet not building go back to the yeah. beginning yeah people's houses people's houses yeah no church building yeah it's like super different and so yeah i think that's why it's it's incredibly important because often we're reading backwards, but it's it's important to to know what our history is. And so, yeah, that was, yeah, the Great Awakening and the Enlightenment really brought a highly education part of preaching. But also the revivals was funny too because there are all these churches starting all over the place. like the Wesleyans were starting something like 700 churches a year, really wild all over America. So all of these Methodists, you're like, how does every town have a Methodist church? It's like, it's from this time. Also Baptist churches, same thing. How did that, oh, that was from this time. And so there was this necessity to leave somebody behind to lead these new churches and new congregations, new communities and all of that. And so it was, kind of this wild west of like, oh, well, you're kind of like a dude. You should stay, you know, like you're a person alive, breathing. You seem motivated. You should be a preacher. Probably hard to prayerfully commission 700 individuals a year. Right. Um, 
I, I mean, that sounds hard, even if you were a massive established church network totally. with like, you know, a big board to oversee it all. Right. Let alone this almost like traveling circus right. style of establishment where you're right. You're just moving from place to place at a at a clip. Right. Totally. You don't have a long time to even stick around and find out what that person's like on the inside. Yeah. Uh, I'd imagine too, it's like Oh, what am I supposed to do now? Well, when John came through, he got people together and he talked to him about, like, so that's what I should do. I guess I'll that must I'll be what that. I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's one of those. That's you know we talked about an early episode about like the title preacher instead of pastor. How did that come about? And that's really that really is like the time where it's like oh the person who's the preacher. And you need a preacher in each of these places. And I think it was always when the church is expanding and exploding, there's really messy stuff. And then you can look back really critically. But I think that was one of the messy things of like, oh, I think with more intention, they would have been like, oh, we should like know their heart well, or we should develop some system of teaching people how to be like leaders yeah and establish elders and do like what paul was doing in the early church of these uh or in the the book of acts starting these churches having this intense relationship with them sending people to help them and then eventually sending people to appoint elders who are faithful men in that community who can like lead the church i think looking back they're like oh that's what we should have done but things were happening really quickly and then yeah, ironically, Baptists and Methodists then were like, shoot, let's start seminaries. And they did. <laughs> you know, the, oh, crap. That's how Princeton was started. You know, yeah. Jonathan Edwards, first president of Princeton. It's how Duke was started. Uh, yeah, so it was all of that. Just uh, Yeah, so even in that, there was some really amazing uh, seeds being planted that were going to grow up and bear fruit for generations because those were going to train the next uh, generation of uh, preachers slash pastors. But definitely what I think what you're pointing out there is some kind of, it's like a a door has been walked through because Mm -hmm. of that moment, how those churches came to be where the preacher is now the thing to be imaged, the thing to be reproduced. Right. right. And the thing that holds it all together. Right. Absolutely. Which you could even look back and be like, oh, why? How do we get so weird with like Christian leadership? And like, it's like, oh, th- there's a lot of seeds there. Yeah. yeah. A lot of seeds there. Yeah. Uh, even that there are a lot of tyranny of like speaking well is what's most important, not your heart or not even your life. Not even how you disciple other people or care for other people. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're definitely reaping what we sowed there. <laughs> I mean you want to listen to another great podcast on that, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Definitely out there. Chronicles that in great totally. detail. But yeah, I mean, I think the reason that even that podcast has the prominence and so many people will know what I'm referring to is because that's like endemic now. Right. Like Mark Driscoll is just sort of an example of a phenomenon, not a, 
he's not a even a remarkable right. story, I would say at this point. That is, the church became almost single-minded mm-hmm. in pursuing people that were charismatic speakers, right? Um, to a fault, right? Yeah. And like you said, lost the qualifications of character. I think the this this is the this does seem like the problem as well, right? What now we're kind of Mm-hmm. We're not just being descriptive anymore. We're kind of, we're kind of into a different... <laughs> Definitely circling. Yeah. Yeah. Because, right, we're getting close. Because what happened, yeah, in that revivalist era, you have preachers is like what the church is all about. A preacher is the church. But locally. And then after World War II, so if you zoom, that kept getting re- reproduced. But then after World War II... You have this massive baby boom in America, and then you have the rise and fall of celebrity preachers, where the preacher becomes a brand, they become larger than the congregations, the rise of the megachurch, all sorts of things. Local churches become regional churches, buildings grow, programs grow the structure of a church is have a preacher, have a cruise director slash executive pastor who like makes it all happen and function and everything uh, then suddenly goes through the stage and goes through the sermon. So, yeah. No longer, this is something I wrote earlier, no longer was the main moment of a church the sermon. It essentially became the only moment of the life of the church. So, yeah, which is a big shift from the reformation from this is a, this is a big moment in our service to this is our church. Our church is the sermon. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where I think we can call back to an earlier episode and say the problem, the problem with this way of thinking about it is now there is not a puzzle to be completed. This is the only puzzle piece. Right. And all of those other things that we've talked about that make a church thrive that are sort of necessary and and Mm self-correcting mechanisms and and godly and obedience and, right, all of it. And the character qualifications of eldership, like, all of those things are beginning to disintegrate mm-hmm. as the spotlight becomes focused on this this preaching show, this preaching performance. Right. Right? Uh, to lots and lots of people that you'll never know. Right. And that will never know you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what is now being transacted yeah. there, right? Absolutely. Um, and I think this is... Yeah, now we're kind of so now we're kind of in the think of this. I think with, <laughs> with evangelical culture, right? yeah, and even I mean, I think in some ways, like the the evangelical crisis, uh, yeah, is wrapped up in this problem, like through and through. That, um, yeah, questions of leadership and what what makes for an acceptable leader, and what do we what do we want? out of uh, a leader in a society, in a church, uh, you know, period. A hundred percent. I think that 
just just taking a taking a step back from the historical context and now trying to approach this sort of with like this softness of this might be some the only thing somebody knew mm-hmm. right so they're coming on a sunday sunday morning and they're being told this is the quality to look for mm. like you said this is maybe the only right. thing of the church this is the only only thing yeah. that matters right can they can they preach the bible well i mean I'm, i don't know i'm heard people talk about this in different ways of like oh well are they even preaching the gospel there or not and granted i know we can mean many more other kinds of things with that and some sort of there's some healthy discernment of like whoa yeah you know because there's plenty of people that also have the big stage and they aren't even yeah they aren't even talking about the gospel right it's it's this whole other this whole other show is being produced right so how do we walk back from that now like how do we right i think this is always the challenge okay i now understand i'm a product of my culture maybe i'm a product of my culture's expectations yeah um you know i i ingested some of this in my Mm -hmm. early life or i just came to sort of passively accept this how do i step out of that yeah i think there's there's a couple things one is I mean, all the things you're pointing out are definitely like bad fruit from bad seed kind of things. There's also another bad fruit from bad seed where it it didn't just teach us that's what we need to expect from our spiritual leaders. It also taught us what to expect from ourselves. And what it the Christian life was, as you were saying, is to come and to sit. Uh, discipleship is a option like actually growing in obedience to jesus and seeing your life transformed by jesus every aspect of your life that's an option if you want but what you really need to do is come and sit and listen the other thing of like the mission of god is for people to go travel somewhere else that's all being wrapped up in the same kind of cultural moment that we've all inherited and so I think, how do you get out of it? It is, it is for yourself saying, oh, I'm not going to settle for half of Christianity. Like I'm going to, I'm only going to be content with Jesus in every aspect of my life. That's what's so great about, yeah, the New Testament, Paul loved to talk about ambition. You know, we're going to talk about Philippians a lot, so I try not to like, you know, shoot my whole shot, you know, like (laughs) right now, but steal your own thunder, steal my own thunder in the future (laughs) somehow. But he's talking about this ambition to just know Jesus and to know the power of the resurrection. And I think that how do you get out of it? It's kind of coming with that hunger and that desire. And I would say that yeah it's this weird thing of we both overvalued and undervalued preaching like we've made it the thing but then we've also not believed that jesus just himself christ crucified raised from the dead is enough to like shake people's bones into life it's like no also big flowery language and a big crowd and lots of hype which i like hype you know like hype is great but 
we've we've shifted it to that. Like you need to have movie clips, you need to have all of these other things, and that really gets it going. And so I think that's how we've undervalued it because it's like, oh no, but if we valued it as uh, a manifestation of like Jesus speaking into the lives of a whole group of people that's going to go into hospitals and schools and workplaces throughout, then we would like value it, I think, even more. I'm like, oh, this is, I'm about to light the, the powder keg. Like that's right. what's happening here. Yeah. Um, I'm being equipped for something powerful that I've, I'm called to. Yeah. And so I think that would be, how do you get out of it? It's thinking about it in that way, you know, kind of like you shared in different episodes, like we're not trying to say preaching doesn't matter. We're actually, we're trying to hold that. It's, it, it means that. And so even coming, expecting the spirit to do that in you through the preaching of another person is is really really great and it's not based on their poetry it's based on just the power of jesus to work through somebody's life you know? yeah yeah mm. yeah not the poetry the jesus women <laughs> that's good yeah i mean i think that because poetry is really nice i i think that's yeah. other thing we have to acknowledge is like it is nice when a speaker is good is compelling yeah. you shouldn't feel bad that our arts are Oh, no, not at all. Yeah. Right. But I think what you said at the beginning, especially like, hey, this isn't de-emphasizing like to just you're settling. If you think that that's all that the church has for you is preaching. Right. You're really settling and you're you're leaving a lot of Christianity on the table for you. Totally. So, So even though ironically, it may seem like we're having a conversation about what is the correct emphasis to put on preaching. What we're, what we're really talking about here is expanding people's view, like you said, on both the importance of it and where it, where it fits yeah. uh, within the, the larger life of the, chor- the church. And, and I would say, like, hopefully what we're doing is we're, we're demonstrating, here's how it got skewed, right? And, and not to, like, put the past at fault. The past was mm. what it was and God purposed it in lots of ways, beautiful ways to bear yeah. the fruit that it has. Absolutely. But also because we're only human and, you know, we grow up in a culture not recognizing it for what it is, we just naturally inherit these ways of looking at things. And one day we wake up and we're like, what's what's with all these narcissistic church leaders? It feels totally. like this is happening everywhere. It's like, oh, of course it is. Right. Because we because we got preaching all out of whack. Yeah. We got the, this whole design for the for the body is, is you know, it's missing some other legs. Totally. You know? And so we had to get these really charismatic people mm-hmm. to try and lift the whole thing by themselves. And maybe that was never going to be. Right. You know, maybe if we hadn't even put that kind of pressure on those guys. I don't know. Yeah. Certainly they can have their own responsibility in it. But I'm just saying like. We we created the stages right. on which they were going to crumble. Totally. Because we asked yeah. inhuman things of them. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And that and it doesn't even necessarily fall into the preaching only. Yeah. 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 But it's almost like this gateway. And yeah, as you're talking, it made me think of this illustration I, I came up with when I was in New York at the 
MoMA Museum of Modern Art. There's some really funny things about this story, but I won't share all of it. But in it, they have, you know, this whole room of, uh, it's Monet's lilies, right? Like huge paint, like beautiful paintings of all of these lily pads and the colors are so vibrant, you know? And the, I mean, one in a million artist level, right? Monet, incredible, like a genius who took all of the faculties that God had given him and then painted this thing that's a really, I don't know, inspiring depiction of something that God created. But, and then there's also Van Gogh's there of like the hillsides of Holland and beautiful. Also the starry night, such beautiful picture of this is what's, and Van Gogh, like genius again, put all of his effort to create something where you look at it like that's that's so beautiful and that's so inspiring but both of those paintings and those artists they're just like reflecting this greater beauty which is the lily pads themselves or the starry night themselves or the hillside of holland and i think that in many ways that's what preaching is and the work of the preacher is to be like van gogh and to be like Monet, but, and I would, now I'm just speculating. Well, I think for sure Monet, he just really loved lily pads and he wanted people to go look at the lily pads and to sit in ponds and to really enjoy it. And I think that's intrinsically what most artists do is they're trying to carry you to a place and inspire you to go there physically. You know, so I think preaching is I'm going to use all of my creativity, all of my gifts, all of my faculties, all of my reasoning, all of those abilities. I'm going to do it like as best as I possibly can so that people will go see the the real thing and be able to see the real thing and be inspired to like, I don't know, it might break down eventually, but I do the metaphor. I think it's, I think it's solid, but it's got legs. Yeah. So when I'm writing a sermon, I'm really trying to use all the poetry, all of the books, all of the quotes, all of the novels that I enjoy, the sto- every things that are funny, things that are not, because I really want people to see Jesus uh, through it all. And so we're definitely not saying preach bad sermon, you know? Yeah. Or but. we're, we're, t- we're not taking a step back. <laughs> From preaching. That. That's air quotes again, by the way, for those of you who don't have screens to watch the video we never recorded. But yeah, well, then we're not yeah. taking a step back by any means. No, uh, we're, but it is, and I would say that that's the sadness of that church growth celebrity preacher thing. I always get mad when people call them celebrity pastors. It's like, who are they pastoring? Yeah. And, they're just 20, they're just they're celebrity just communicators thousands yeah. yeah yeah and i think that the part is we stopped wanting to see the lily pads and the starry nights we just wanted to see the artist mm. we did we just wanted to see the rendering that they came up with not the real life lily pad or even the artist themselves rather than the yeah just the artist became more about the person yeah which i always find funny like 
this is just my art take. <laughs> like a self-portrait. I mean, there's fascinating things, all this, how they view themselves and all that. Yeah. But it's like, ah, I don't want to see. Van Gogh's just like a redheaded guy. It looks kind of weird. I would rather He's see a little the- Jeff Logan. It's a lot like <laughs> Jeff Louds. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. Totally kidding. Totally looks like Jeff. Yeah. But yeah, it, Jeff, that's way more handsome than Van Gogh. But yeah, that there is some sort of self-regard or narcissism appeal. Right. If so then courage and the yeah. surprise when it's narcissists who take the yeah so over time and, yeah we're taking the metaphor really far so over time the preacher stops preaching for to get people to go outside and look at the stars they just start preaching so people can see them right and it becomes about the show yeah. on sunday morning yeah not sure. what the not what that whole thing should be eliminating yeah the glory of god yeah yeah i think um man i like i like where we got on that i just want to try and wrap us up here i think that's great um we have said this in a lot of different ways i think through the episodes up till now but just to sort of like end it and and kind of put a bow on this conversation what what are we trying to do now like how are we trying to make this work within a sunday morning what what is what does that mean? Like, how do we treat preaching to sort of recover from these mm. from these distortions and cultural lenses? Are there specific things that we're trying to do as a church, or yeah, things things that things we're doing deliberately, or changes that we made mm. to try and accord more with this biblical definition and to move away from some of these cultural errors? Let's say, yeah, it's a great question. I think some of the things we're trying to do is give all of ourselves to preaching good sermons. So about Jesus. And we already said a bunch about that, but so I could get stuck talking more about it. So that's one. I think the second is trying to build a team of people that preach. I think that's one of the, the sad realities of many people pastors or you know preachers is they they do it alone and then it becomes their thing and so we want to see a team of preachers that have different personalities even different gift mix like people are more prophetic or more pastoral shepherding more teaching more evangelistic because i'm not all of those things and not one single person could and so I think that's one thing. It's one of the reasons I'm passionate about not just preaching myself, but training other people to preach. And I think it edifies the body, hearing all these different voices and perspectives. And it makes it so encouraging and exciting for people to hear not just different people, but different ways of communicating. And it also operates as a small protection against oh, I just really love this person and how they say it or whatnot. And I think it protects against one particular person's gift mix becoming the example of that's what it means to be a faithful witness. So, and I'm really cognizant of that. There's more transparency. So it's like, I, I know, so I like really like to, I really like to reap 
a lot. And I, not a book a day or whatever Mark Driscoll said, but I like, <laughs> I genuinely love to read novels and books and things. And I'm a super, I'm a nerd and a dork. And I have my own way of communicating and saying things. And I think that if left just me preaching, it could definitely lead a, a disciple of Jesus to believe. Oh, to be to be a mature Christian means to be like Brad, who reads a lot of books, has kids, has a dog, has this way of looking at the world. Like that's what it means to be a mature Christian. Is yeah. to have like that Brad stuff. And I think that then that's how you begin the idolatry thing. Yeah, because yeah. it's about Bradness yeah. and not Jesus. Right. So I think, yeah, you got to have, we want to see other people preach. I think um, we also, this has always been in the life of our church. Both of those things have always been in the life of the church, I would say. And the other thing always been in life of the church is that we believe preaching happens best when it's done in community and then in a community that's on mission, like to reach people in the city, uh, with people in the city. So that kind of the people that preach on Sundays being in missional communities where they're living it out, loving other people, having conversations, sharing life, uh, with other disciples who are different than them and the good and the bad and the ugly, like that's the best place that preaching can come from and come from having a heart for the city too and having friends who aren't Christians and all of that. So I think those are two huge things because what happened in the church growth era was preachers sitting in their rooms and coming up with really great stuff like Aaron Sorkin writing an episode of the West Wing. Yeah. There's my, also, you don't have to like Aaron Sorkin to be a Christian, but I'd love him. But if you don't like the West Wing, <laughs> we got some words for you. If you fit that, we're going to have to have some words. I'm totally on, I'm going through the West Wing anthology right now. Just finished sports night. <laughs> Started West Wing. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Those like are the that. corrections. What would you add? Um, I know. I think that was really nicely summed up. And I think, yeah, it's kind of like the same way that, you know, you need different styles of worship, you know? Yeah. Having, having different preachers, I do, I do think it, it helps, um, helps us see more of the possibilities of faithfulness of Jesus following mm -hmm. of ways of I don't know, even just like ways of caring yourself, yeah. right? That like people are going to behave differently. Pre preachers are going to behave differently from each other at the front of the room. And that's actually like a good thing. There's not, mm -hmm. there's not some uh, right. very narrow, um, what's the word, like personality right. or persona that you have to project mm -hmm. um, to be doing it well, to be doing the Christian life well. And I think like most of us believe we believe that, or at least we think we know that. Yeah. It's just the temptation is if you see one version of it week in, week out, 
you may become more aware of the ways that you don't match up with very specific parts right. of that version. Yeah. Versus like the more useful kind of sanctification, which would be like, oh, there's like this bigger, well-rounded thing, mm-hmm. which I also don't match up to because I'm still growing right. up in Christ. But it might help you think about that a little bit more mm-hmm. deeply. Yeah, I think it can be an expression of, oh, we're, re- we're all different members of the same body. Yeah. So what's my role to play instead of, oh, that's the role that gets to be played. Yeah. How can I do that? Yeah. And I think the other piece to me that's powerful is the, is the preaching under the elders authority. Mm-hmm. And it's this idea that like one, that authority is the delegated and two, that I'm, I'm not somehow taking power by being up there. Like totally. I'm, I'm graciously being given it in a because I am living a life with the church, which exemplifies that I would have a reason to stand before it and, and give a testimony. Yeah. Right. And so rather than the preachers being these abstract figures that we're not actually really sure who they are in their substance, they're absolutely, they're people we know, Yeah, people have been watching our kids and, Mm -hmm. you know, people that we've, Hopefully we've heard them confess some hard stuff and we're not just looking at them as these flawless images. I mean, that's certainly, yeah. I can promise you that's not me. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. And that I think is super liberating as well. It makes oh, it so liberating. Human, right. Yeah. 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 And I think that's, I think as I think about the, the, the shift we are making around wanting to equip women to preach in their voice, in their personality, in their stories. I do I do envision it being challenging for men because for most people's Christian lives, they've seen their gender proclaiming the truth. So they're like, ah, oh, I can identify with that, like right off the bat. And I don't think gender and representation is like, every like gender like i need somebody looks just like me so i can be you know valued they have to be on the stage but i do think that it will be a challenge because so this is just my encouragement to people even to begin thinking about it is i don't think so much the submission because we're all around powerful strong women yeah who are competent and capable and they lead half the things because they're half the people in the world and i think that you would it'll be hard to practice that oh this person is different than me in in more ways than i'm used to and can i receive what they have to say not from they're not able to but i think that'll be an adjustment yeah for people i think that's very true yeah and a good a good note to end up yeah (laughs) like yeah it's okay. It's okay if if we're feeling some discomfort yeah. in that way. And that might be like a really mm-hmm. healthy sign of of growth yeah. for us. Right. Um and we should probably do the work of owning that. And yeah. I think I think what has happened a lot is people did not do that work mm-hmm. and it became a projection 
back onto that woman that in some way her just her selfness yeah was clearly not up to the task because i'm feeling x y and z in relationship to yeah hearing these words out of this mouth right yeah especially because we will teach um well we everybody we've been equipping to preach we've been equipping them to preach as themselves yeah so like like you were saying. you didn't ask me to be somebody else yeah, on day I was like hey could you be like me or it's like no hey, could you just be more of a dad yeah less of a dad yeah or, yeah you didn't or pretend that you're actually right. a professor at a seminary yeah no no just right. preaching as you and i do think that even if i could some of the the faultiness and feminism and there's lots of faultiness but not all of it's faultiness there's my <laughs> throwing that out there some of it is that to be valued you have to become like a man and i think that we will not be and that that's happened in other churches that have women preachers or have women pastors or those different things it's like well just be a woman but do it just like a man yeah uh which is a disregard for difference and design so we will be equipping women to preach as, as themselves yeah. uh, with women with being a woman as part of it right yeah 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 which is exciting that's I'm excited great. for that yeah and it'll, but it'll be but be aware be aware yeah could, that's why it may feel different in some right. ways that it feels different right yeah and even back to that yeah it's there's yeah that's a whole other cultural part to walk through is like the history of women and men not just preaching in the church but there is a lot of some of my fears around it have been like, oh, is it going to feel like rah rah battle of the sexes kind of thing? Yeah, but but I but that's not what the church is about. It's about mutual submission, love, and receiving Christ's love through one another. Yeah. Not which isn't about victories. Yeah, or. Or neutralizing gender. Or neutralizing right? gender. We don't need yeah. anyone to be any less male yeah. or less female than right. God already made them totally. To be. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, which is why I think it's going to be powerful and a learning experience as well. Totally. For all of us. That's the end of this episode. We enjoyed talking through church history and just all the other areas in which the Spirit led me and Casey. Again, there will be notes and references for you in the podcast notes. Hope you are able to find those well. And if you have any questions or want to talk further about any of these things, please reach out. We love you, Soma. I pray that you are finding your place in the mission of God in your gifts in the the moments that God has placed you this week. Love you, church. Love you, fam. See you soon.